Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host today, Stephen Ebers, and today we are joined by Jaron Fry for a special episode specifically timed for this time of the year to get on Mature Bucks, and that is Mastering the Pre-Rut. Jaron and I get into talking about how our setups look for the pre-rut, where we would hunt, how we would call, and other specifics related to the pre-rut. We even go as far as just the basic details of what the pre-rut is, the time frame that you're looking at for pre-rut, and other miscellaneous things. Jaron begins to tell us about his aggressive tactics during the hunting season and how he has been successful in the past. So it's been a highly anticipated podcast, and I'm super happy to get it out to you guys. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you guys learn something from this. So have a listen. Well, man, glad to have you on the podcast. Thank uh, you. It's the heart of the season, and uh, it's it's getting to where, you know, the, the Bucks are starting to make their moves, and we're seeing a lot more activity out in the whitetail woods yep yep it's getting a lot harder to stay at home it's kind of that time of year you need to be in the woods because it could happen at any time you've been hunting a lot well, probably a little too much already but but yeah the last couple of days uh been trying to get out when i could so well, what are you seeing out there man i've been tagged out since october 6th i'm starting to have withdrawals uh this morning i saw two uh three-year-olds chasing which is the first good chasing i've seen so it's definitely picking up good deal um you, you see, so you're seeing a little bit more of the immature bucks starting to go, and yep, yep. I haven't seen a. I saw a four year old, a four year old, a couple, uh, probably four or five nights ago, and they were just working scrapes. But, but otherwise, I haven't had too many interactions this year with any mature bucks. So. It's a good time to to probably be set up over over some of those scrapes. Might yep. get lucky, maybe hitting in the daylight. Yep, kind of getting them on the scrapes or in the pinch points where they're if they're cruising, you know, kind of scent checking the area. Spots like that. I've definitely heard that uh, two different reports just around here that uh, bucks were dogging does. They're, you know, trying to get curious, trying to find out who's in heat, and uh, that just gets me pumped up. And uh, I've heard a couple buddies shooting some, and so, Darren. Uh, usually, when we get these podcasts started, I like to find out a little bit about who who you are and how you got into hunting so why don't you tell us a little bit about that before we get started um well uh, i kind of grew up well kind of the same small town you did here kind of local but um i have a, I have an older brother he's, he's six years older than me and uh well we didn't have a lot growing up we had one tv and, and he was he was always playing video games on the tv so uh so i just take his bb gun out and i'd, I'd go bird hunting i'd shoot sparrows and I'd, every day i was outside shooting sparrows and my, my grandma had a bunch of cats so uh, none of the birds went to waste, but but uh, from there that was you know when I was six I was doing that, and then uh, I remember it when I was ten ten years old or maybe eleven, we had a family dinner and one of my cousins brought her boyfriend over and he had his compound bow and well I had to have one so uh, for Christmas I got a golden eagle compound bow and uh, my dad and I didn't know nothing about bows we didn't even have a rest on it I got one of those sticky rests like a uh, like you have on a recurve bow oh, those okay. little piece of plastic that stick to the side yeah ain't much and that's what i had for like two or three years bow hunting but i bow hunted a lot um i never shot anything until i was probably 16 or 17 just because i didn't know what to do if i did shoot one but i mean i was always having encounters with does you know, 10 15 yards away so uh 
but, but just at kind of, 11 were you were well, you hunting off the ground stalking yeah, them or what? just just on the ground i'd go out and sit on a log or on a bucket or just indian style you know and and i think a lot of them was probably young deer that was curious mm-hmm. so like, what's this but, what is this little human yeah yeah, yeah what is this thing <laughs> and there wasn't as much pressure back then either so that probably helped but well but i of, mean you learn a lot just being in the woods at that age yeah, yeah. and uh trying to figure these kind of things out it definitely helps it definitely helps so and i it probably you know back then even seeing squirrels or deer or something that was enjoyable now now it's like there's pressure everybody's out after the biggest deer so but it's it's fun it's really fun yeah one thing about you know everybody being after the biggest deer is that sometimes it allows these other younger deer to get a little bit bigger and older and kind of everybody else gets a shot at a decent or better than decent buck yeah, yeah. you know at least once or twice a year um if you if you know what you're doing um so you started shooting deer at 16 i think i was like 16 17 when i shot my first doe um and then it was probably when i was 18 i think i shot my first first buck with a bow and i shot a buck with a rifle that year and I've been not every year, but pretty consistently, pretty close every year. I get a decent buck. So, so you were progressing as as the years gone. Yeah, yeah. You said you did some uh, work for the conservation. Um, what, what exactly were you doing? So, uh, so I got my degree uh, in wildlife conservation and management, and uh, I, I got on right out of college with uh, Missouri Department of Conservation at Ted Shanks, and it's a waterfowl area, uh, seven thousand acres south of Hannibal, but. Uh, I just do food plots there and invasive species management. Um, we'd plan all the all the food plots for the ducks and we'd flood it. But uh, there's some monster deer on that place and put in some food plots and turnips and stuff for that too. So that's awesome. I bet I bet that helped uh, kind of influence or teach you a little bit more about. Yeah, that helped. Deer. Uh, you know, we we got to see a lot. Of, uh, there was a big refuge and we'd go through the refuge, which no one else was allowed. But since we worked there, but. But you could kind of see how those deer reacted to where there was pressure and where there wasn't. And I learned a lot about about food plots and uh, different management, like timber stand improvement and burning and stuff like that, that, that I implement on some of the spots I hunt now that help too. So Yeah, that's very cool. Now, I know you, you own a couple spots now, but, you know, when you were younger, were you hunting permission, public land, or spots that your family had or um some of the stuff was stuff our family owned but we didn't have very much timber it was mostly just open field with like a little brushy area or a 10 yard strip of woods but back then it wasn't hard to get permission um you know before i was 16 i couldn't drive around but once i got old enough to drive anybody let you hunt even the guys that were avid hunters themselves would let a guy go on their hunt and they didn't really care back then but it's getting harder and harder all the time um too many people are paying too much for for the leases, and and the, a lot of guys are coming from out of town to buy areas just to hunt. So it's not quite as easy to get permission as it used to be. Yeah, I find it tough, tough as well, man. So uh, we're in the uh, heart of the season, like I said, but um, I would still consider this maybe the pre-rut. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I would say it's pre-rut, but I think it's going to start going to the rut here in the next few days, or you'll see a lot more chasing than what, what we've been seeing. Well, that just, you just led me right into my first question. So can you kind of give me a, a, a generalized date of when is the pre-rut? When does the pre-rut start? And when does it transition into full-on rut in your experience? Um, I would say kind of from, from the hunting perspective, 
uh, I would say like the pre-rut, we always think of like October 23rd, October 24th, that last week of October. Um, that's when, when it seems like the bigger bucks are getting on their feet a little more often and getting a little more active. And then uh, the, the actual rut probably just sometime in that first week in November where the bucks start chasing a lot harder and you see them in kind of spots they normally wouldn't be. You see a buck in the middle of an open field or something with a doe that you just normally wouldn't see or the bucks they're running around with their tongues hanging out because they're so exhausted and making big mistakes they wouldn't make the rest of the year. So for Missouri, I think, when's our gun season? The 16th this November year. November 16th this year. Um, what would you say, I mean, that's the peak rut usually. I would say that's probably peak rut or uh, I would say probably pretty much peak rut, rut yeah. Okay. So those are some kind of time frames that you can look at. And, all right, this is when, you know, that early movement's going to start. They're going to, the bucks, you may get a good chance at seeing one in the daylight at the pre-rut. Um, would you say that the pre-rut, transitioning into the rut is about the same time every year um i would say it's always the same time but but what you're going to see as far as the hunting perspective is is still focused on weather if it's going to be 80 degrees uh the, the deer movement is going to be a lot more at night if it's going to be a good cold day like this morning it was 30 degrees one of the coldest mornings we had yet and uh there was deer out everywhere this morning it was it was a really good morning um the colder it gets you're just going to see a lot more deer are there any factors that play into your hunting that you you kind of look at besides weather um like the barometric pressure you know the higher if that's raising or the higher it is i look into that a lot um i'm paying attention to the wind of course going in where where i'm hunting i don't want want the deer to be able to smell me going in or anything like that but but otherwise like the moon i have never paid too much attention to the moon or any of that type of stuff okay um just you may have already answered this question for me but for the listeners that are just getting into hunting can you kind of maybe describe a little bit what is the pre-rut exactly? So uh, so going into it in a little more detail, uh, the pre-rut would be kind of the, the bucks are are getting motivated, getting ready to try to figure out which does they're going to breed or where they're going to do their breeding. Um, the I guess as soon as the deer shed their velvet, the hormones kind of start building up in those deer. The, the deer are starting to, to get a little more aggressive as you get along. Um, even early October, you'll see some bucks starting to spar. People get cameras on their cameras of pictures of deer fighting and stuff, and they're kind of establishing their dominant territory of where they're going to be trying to find the does. But uh, once the pre-rut starts, it's, it's getting a lot more active. They're, they're, they're going to start working the scrapes a lot more and spending more time during the day trying to figure out which does they're going to be going after. Or which They want to figure out which does coming in first so they can be the one with her. Okay. So... And I think as it progresses on through the rut, you know, the closer it's the rut, the more active those deer are going to get because it's just getting that much closer to go time. Um, so with with you knowing kind of what the pre-rut is and and what the deer are doing, how are you setting up on? Because I mean, you're you're looking to kill a mature buck. So how are you setting up on these deer in the pre-rut? to find that mature buck what are you what are your setups looking like so uh i guess i'll kind of switch a little bit so i hunt the pre-rut a little different or as you go through i'll hunt hunt differently but but uh i've got a few spots that i know from from past experiences that are better than others for the pre-rut um whether it's if i've had a camera out and i've been getting a picture of a buck on a scrape the year before and i know that deer's still alive um 
I'll be planning on trying to hunt that deer the same time that next year because he's probably going to be in that same area on that scrape during the daytime. I found that to be true. Yeah, that's yep. that's take, a good taking, intel. Taking advantage of that. Um, and there's some little pinch points where uh, like you get a big chunk of woods narrows down to a creek that's going to funnel a little bit and then get into a couple more bigger patches of timber or couple of fingers come together mm-hmm. a lot of times those little pinch points the the bucks will put scrapes there i know i know i got one tree that there's gonna be scrapes under every single year and it seems like the mature deer hit that one scrape during the daylight a lot for some reason so whether they just feel safe there or i think it's just a perfect pinch point where two creeks meet and they can kind of jog from one creek to another and it's a lot of cover in between there, and it just kind of it's just the perfect tree. I don't know what it is. I've got several friends that's hunted it. I call it the shaky oak tree, but they can vouch for it. Like that tree is the tree to that be you want to be in in the pre rut. Yeah, but I don't. So if I have a spot like that, I will not hunt it until the pre rut because you get in there and pressure it, you'll really turn those deer to where they're nocturnal on those on those scrapes. Okay, that's that's good stuff. So kind of just avoid pressuring those spots that you know are going to be good in the pre-rut that way you can see them and, and have a chance at yep, them in daylight yep. uh you were about to say something and i had a question for it so i'm, I'm going to go ahead and ask it now how are you changing strategies between early mid and late october so uh I, i'm lucky enough i have several spots to hunt still and uh and i run several cameras on 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 certain farms um the farms that i don't know if there's gonna and and some of these farms aren't very good like you drive by it and you never even think about hunting it but it doesn't take much to hold a good deer so i like to run cameras on the farms that aren't as good to try to find a big buck to go after and uh, i'll hunt some of the worst farms but like i said those those better farms or those pinch points i'll save those so i'm I'm hunting my worst spots or i'm hunting uh stands where i can see a lot early season more like observation observation sits. sits trying to find a big buck that way so when the rut gets there, I can really kind of, I start getting a little more aggressive, a little closer to their bedding or a little closer to those pinch points. And as kind of, as the deer get more aggressive and they're, they're moving a little more during the daylight, I like to push them a little closer and a little closer, but still using the wind in my favor and trying to play everything as safe as possible. Gotcha. So maybe a conservative approach in the earlier season, yeah. but as it gears from early to mid, you're getting you're getting closer and you're these observation sets you're able to see what the deer are doing and kind of take your approach in the mid october to now let's just say that you you're seeing a buck do the same thing a couple times during the early october are you going to capitalize on i'm going to definitely try to get in on that you know the next time the weather is the same and the wind's the same where i can get in there safe mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely going to try to move in on that deer that's good because, you know, a lot of the times you hear about guys are like, man, you know, every night this deer's coming out on the other side of the field. He just won't make it to me. Well, I'm you go to there. him. I'm going to yeah. be there. Yeah. Yep. And, and it is important, like you said, you got to have the, the right right wind because a, a deer, I think, will travel to certain spots due to and a certain wind. Yes. I think the the nose is definitely the most powerful thing the deer have. They're, they're, that's their biggest strategy. Um, that's what keeps them alive the best. I mean, they can see, but they can not, if they see you, they might know you're a human. They might not, but if they smell you, they, they've got you pegged. So, um, what would you say your style of hunting is? Uh, are you, are you mobile? Do you use hanging 
hunt setups? Do you hunt from the ground? Are you miscellaneous? Is there something that so uh, I guess others may overlook? I'm mostly a, a stand hunter. Um, now, growing up, like when I was talking about when I first started bow hunting, I, I mean, I'd sit on a log. I'd sit on a crooked tree. Um, I made some, like, started making some homemade stands that weren't safe at all. <laughs> but uh, but I've definitely, I've got probably 22, 23 stands set up that are mostly permanent right now in really good locations. And then uh, some of those, I've got, uh, like, backpack straps on. They're, they're climbing sticks so I can take them down and move them real quick. And I'll do a hanging hunt once in a while. Um, but if there's, a, if there's a deer, like you're talking about that deer that was moving in the same place multiple times... If, if there's no stand, I'll, I'm not afraid to sit on the ground. I'll, I'll get in and try to find like a little thick spot where I'm, I'm hidden. I'll move all the leaves, kind of brush them away so you can move without getting caught. Yeah. Make, without making no noise. Rustling in the leaves and stuff. Good. Um, this time of year, what are, you, uh, what are you packing in your arsenal? and Yeah, kind of go from there. What, so, uh, what are you bringing to the woods with you? So uh, I got a backpack, and uh, in that backpack I've always got um, – like a, a little hand shears to, to trim brush and I've always got a little folding saw. Um, a lot of times, especially my better stands, like I'm talking about in the pinch points right now, um, I won't even go in there and trim limbs or anything until I go in for that first hunt just because I don't want to get in there and put any pressure in that's unnecessary. Um, I've always got a grunt tube, rattle bag. Um, my, my release is always on my wrist, of course. And then uh, I've always got to have a uh, rangefinder. Yeah, rangefinder would be important. Um, okay, so you're bringing your saw to the woods, and you get to one of your your known spots, and this tree limb grew right in front of one of your shooting lanes. Well, you don't want to screw that spot up for that hunt, so is there some strat- strategy you're using so, to... So I uh, do kind of have a strategy for that. Um, I did this, oh, it had been like three days ago I hunted a spot, and, uh, and I got a, I, it's where I killed a, a big buck a few years ago, Krusty, and when I went in to kill him, it was, a, it was one of those deer I was... Like I told you earlier, I, I had uh, pictures of him from the year before on the same scrape over and over over again during the day as a, as a I think he was a four-year-old. He was probably a high 130s, really nice-looking deer. But uh, I knew he had survived. Nobody had killed him. I think I had like one or two pictures late season that year. Um, but I didn't put a camera on that spot that whole year, this, this, this next year. I don't remember exactly. It had been probably five years ago when I killed Krusty. But, uh, but I went to that spot that year. And, uh, and this time it was a morning hunt. I just set up and, uh, I was hunting and another little bucket came through. I, I think I rattled about eight o'clock in the morning and the little buck came through and, and I had too much brush in the way. Like you're saying, I didn't trim anything this morning. Um, but that bucket came through and I didn't really have a shot. So I went ahead and hunted. I was hoping he'd come through the woods and not out in that field where, where that little buck was. And I hunted till nine thirty, and I got down and, uh, I had rattled about eight o'clock and grunted a few times. So it sounded like there'd already been a deer in there. And I was cutting that brush down, and uh, I probably cut six or seven trees, you know, almost as big as your wrist, and I was kind of sticking them piles so they weren't on the trail. And I was keeping my eye open just in case because I'm in the woods, but, but I look up, and Krusty was 70 yards coming at me. I guess he thought I was a buck in there making buck rubs because you know, bucks are doing that this time of year. I mean, if you're shaking, shaking, shaking a saw against a tree and, and the, it's rattling the leaves and yep, kind of sounds like a rub. Around, so. So he he thought I was another buck, I'm guessing, but or maybe he was just coming through there. But so I set that. My, Were you uh, grunting at all or anything? No, Try to make it. Ri- no, this super was just, I was clearing the trees in the morning, but uh, and it was I waited till late nine thirty in the morning. I didn't really think much was moving anymore, 
But uh, so I got down, or I was already on the ground, but I just kind of snuck back. My bow was 10 yards behind me, and I grabbed my bow, and I snuck back up to where I threw a couple of them branches. And uh, at this point, he's 60 yards from me on that same scrape that I had his picture on the year before. But I go ahead and draw back because I think he's getting ready to come. And uh, But he was on there for like 10 minutes probably working that scrape. I feel like I had to let down. I'm just waiting and waiting. And uh, if he'd come to field edge, he would have been less than 10 yards or right at 10 yards. But he cut through kind of some standing beans. And uh, I got him shot. I shot him about 40 yards or so. Oh, that's a poke. And, and I got him. But uh, but but kind of got lucky that I, I did see him coming and was able to get the movement and get, get my bow to get get my bow and get a chance to shoot him before he, he, he saw me or figured out what I really was. But ever since then, if I, uh, I'm not afraid to go to a tree uh, and, and trim brush. I went there three days ago to that same stand and the brush had grown back since last year a little bit. I went ahead and I, I have the, the, my clippers are pretty, pretty quiet. So I clip all the small stuff first. And then I had like three bigger branches I had to cut that they weren't as big as my wrist, but half that with the saw. So I went mm -hmm. ahead and I wasn't quiet. I went ahead and cut them loud. And as soon as I got done while I was still on the ground, I grunted a few times. And then I climbed up in my trees. So I just sound like another buck in there rubbing on some brush. And uh, nothing, I didn't spook nothing. I was probably in the tree 45 minutes and saw my first buck. And, oh, I waited like 20 minutes later and rattled in three bucks out of that same tree after I'd been in there cutting brush down and it didn't spook anything. So, so It's good to just sound realistic is what you're saying. And, yeah, yeah. And then not to be afraid to be loud sometimes if you do it in a strategic way. Yeah, like if you're, if you're, if you, I would rather be loud and cut some brush down and make sure if a deer comes in, I have a chance to shoot that deer than not. And then, you know, you throw a few grunts out there. They just think you're another deer and they're tearing up some brush. So, so, um, we may have already hit this too, but, uh, just want to reiterate it. What are you keying in on? I know you said pinch points and scrapes. Is there anything else you're keying in on in the pre-rut? And uh, what methods have you used to be successful during this time of the year? Um, I'm also going off of that past data on trail cameras. Okay. And uh, I'm hunting those spots that, that in the past have had a lot of a big deer. I knew you mentioned that earlier, and I was going to say, what do those spots look like? Why is it that those spots are working in the pre-rut? Do you have an inclination as to why that? So like, be? like that spot where I killed Krusty, um, the woods is probably 25 yards wide from the field edge to a lake. There's a lake that's in the middle of some trees. Okay. And then if you would go to the west of that, there's a big cedar thicket. It's a bedding up in there. And then there's a few other bedding spots around that lake, but they have to walk all the way around that lake if they're going to use their nose and try to find a doe. But then to the south and the east of there, there's a couple fingers come off. And uh, so there's like three or four different fingers. Like if you hold your hand out, there's three or four fingers, like your four fingers coming out, your, your four main fingers coming out. And then your palm is where the stand is, and then the thumb's where that bedding is. Mm. So any deer that want to kind of cruise looking for a doe, they all go through that one little pinch point. Yeah. And then it narrows them down. It's, it's only 25, 30 yards wide. I can shoot anything that moves between that lake and that field from that one stand. And so how are you accessing that setup just out of curiosity? So uh, I, I get out on the pond dam. There's a really good thick coon trail and uh, I'm coming in and uh, so like between your thumb and your index finger, if you hold it out where it's like a square, mm -hmm. the inside of that square is a open field. And I like to hunt it when the wind's blowing across that open field from the stand. And uh, I've, I've accessed it like walking through that open field and I've spooked a few deer. 
but but I can kind of come in like from where your arm is on the back side where just one little draw that don't get used by deer much and I'll kind of sneak into my stand that way. You said there's a pond in there somewhere. Yeah. You ever try accessing it by canoe I, or anything? I never have used a boat or canoe. Um, there's a lot of bedding around that pond. It's kind of got a couple of coves that are all grown up in brush mm-hmm. and there's a lot of bedding next to it. So I don't like to get, I kind of like to stay off the, from out in the open on the edge of that pond too much. Is there any other examples uh, of a setup that's worked for you or you've gotten intel from cameras in the past that you can maybe explain to the listeners would maybe constitute for a good pre-rut spot? I know you mentioned pin- – I know we, we – I'm, I'm just trying to pick your brain, man. I know you've gone through a lot of detail here. Yeah. Um. Just – I guess just from past experience, just anywhere I see a lot of deer – um and then that that pre-ruts when you're mature deer are going to start moving more so so if you run your cameras and you start picking up a mature deer you just want to get as close to where you think he'll be as you can and i I feel like so those bucks are kind of going to be going to the downwind side of bedding a lot or anywhere there's a lot of like they're going to use their nose and i feel like during the the pre-rut they're trying to go on the downwind side of the thickets and stuff and the downwind side of everything where they can use their nose and sniff out those woods kind of figure out what does are in there and, and kind of work in their scrapes. So I like to be on the, the downwind side of, of any draw where I just think the bucks would be cruising through there. That's a, that's a really great answer. In fact, I'll, I'll tell a little story here. Last year, shot a really nice 10-pointer, and uh, it was in a pinch, and I accessed it by just coming up from the creek, climbing right up the tree, and when I get up that tree, I can look out into a field, but I'm in the woods, okay, and it kind of fingers out in front of me and then opens up into the field. So in that finger, I always know that there's does bedding in there. So I'm downwind of this doe bedding area, but I'm right up on the creek's edge. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know deer will travel down a creek from time to time, but not often. And if you have the ability to make a pathway easier, you know, whether it's permission spot or something you own, um, then definitely do that because the deer are going to take the path of least resistance. Yeah. Well, last year when this 10 pointer, when I shot this 10 pointer, I was set up in that pinch point and knowing that there was going to be does bedded in that finger and it was October 26th. So it was pre-rut time and the 10 pointer come from its bedding, worked downwind of that doe bedding and I was, and it was in between me and the doe bedding. So I was downwind of the buck who was downwind of the doe bedding. Yep. And that's, I think, what you're saying is the best way to, to kind of approach Yes, because you don't want deer. that deer to catch your wind. But there, there is, if I, if I have a big buck, and I know we were an area where he's at, and it's getting close to, like, gun season, I'll get a little more aggressive, and I'll hunt like, like, like that crusty buck. When he comes in that open field, he's downwind of me, but I can shoot him when he gets in that field. So so there's a good chance he could catch my wind, but there's a 95% chance that I have a shot opportunity before it catches my wind. I will do that sometimes. Okay, so kind of explain that. You're hunting an off-wind? So so when I get in there, um, like let's say you had set your hand out open, and the palm's where my stand is, and that if you make a square between your index finger and your thumb, that's your open field. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have the wind blowing straight across that open field, but I can shoot the deer coming down either side of the of the of the woods in that field. So, 
So when they're directly downwind of me, I've been able to see them coming into that open field for 10 yards either way and had shot, shot opportunity that way. That's nice. That's nice. And, uh, you know, that, that leads me into another question. Should you be aggressive this time of year? And uh, do you have any examples of you being aggressive and it paying off? So uh, I guess you, I should have probably – you asked me some other examples earlier on, on stuff I do during the pre-rut. Um, but the aggressive question that, so I, I'm not afraid to get down out of the stand and chase a big buck, like not run after him, <laughs> but, uh, but I've killed my, my first two deer with a bow. I was in a deer stand, saw a buck with a doe. One was locked down. One was just on a hardcore chase. And, uh, after watching them, I knew they, they weren't going to come by my stand and I was out of the game, but it was windy both days. And I just got the first one I was in a climber and I climbed right down the climber. And uh, that, that buck was 10 in a doe. They weren't, they were in for 45 minutes. They didn't make it 10 yards. And I just got down on my, took the climber to the ground with my bow. I took my shoes off where I was in my socks. And it was like heel to toe, as slow as I could go with a cedar tree between me and that buck. And I got 25 yards from him and shot him off the ground. Wow. And then my second one, which was a 156 inch 12 pointer. Um, all the bucks and does I'd seen had been going right underneath my stand, but for some reason, it was, I think it was November 1st, that buck was chasing the doe hard, hardcore. Um, both of them had their tongues hanging out and were just exhausted. But instead of going by my stand, they kind of cut around my stand to a scrape. And then behind that was standing corn. And I got down out of my stand and snuck through that standing corn. I shot that buck at like 15 yards. That's pretty wild. So you basically cut him off, or did you... So I was trying to get around downwind of them, but they actually got... Those two got ahead of me. I saw the doe come through my row of corn, mm -hmm. and I just drew back, and as soon as he, he came into there, I blasted him. So shot him right... I think I hit him double lung with the bow. But That's pretty sweet. And that, those, those are your two first bucks with your bow? Or? Those are my first two bucks with a bow. And I've killed, I've killed other bucks off the bow. I, I snuck up on one in... Uh, this would have been in September, actually, which any time if I see a deer that I'm out of the game, but there's a way to put me in the game, I'm going to try to do that. But I snuck up on one that bedded down in some Milo one time and kind of called and got him up and then shot him. Wow. So. And uh, so you just kind of tiptoed your way through the Milo or? Uh, it, was, it was windy and the neighbor was coming on the beans and was kind of loud and, and I just kind of picked a point where I thought he was and got as close as I could. And then I kind of made some grunts, tried getting to stand up to give me an opportunity. So you were up in the stand already and you could just look that, down and see him bedded in the meadow? That was one or of those observations. Like I was talking about observation sits early. I was, yeah. That was like an observation sit. First time I'd ever been on the farm and uh, the buck was like 200 yards from me and it was kind of getting ready. It was starting to get a little darker, you know, and I was like, man, I'm out of the game unless I do something right now. Uh, and he was standing up grazing. I could just see his rack above the Milo and kind of his head a little bit. And then as soon as that neighbor's combine started up, he bedded down and I kind of made my move. That's pretty, that's pretty genius if you ask me. Ask me. Um, so, so I know you mentioned that, uh, Whenever you're trying to saw something or, or, I don't know, you you were grunting, mm -hmm. you know, and then you mentioned some rattling stuff too. Is there a certain technique to how you call during the pre-rut? So, uh, if I can see that animal, I usually before I call, I want to be able to see an animal. Now the grunt I ain't quite as particular on, but but a lot of times a mature buck, if you go rattling or grunting, they're gonna try to swing downwind of you and use that nose again. 
to figure out what you are, how big, which deer you are, because they don't want to go in and slip up on a buck that's bigger than they are, and they're going to get whipped. So uh, if I can see the deer and I know when I rail them, they got to come straight to me without getting downwind. I'm not afraid to, afraid to call out a deer like that. Or uh, if my stand's just in a location that, that there's a really good chance that deer's not going to swing way downwind of me. If it's all open, like an open cut bean field or something, and all, all the structures and all the habitats upwind of me, I will go ahead and throw some blind rattles and blind uh, grunts and stuff out. Okay. And I just try to, I've heard a few deer fighting in the wild, and you know, you watch TV shows. Anybody watch so much hunting shows can see how other people do it, but but I just kind of try to mimic what I, what they would be doing in real life and go from there. Let's paint a picture here, all right? You're, uh, you're hunting one of these spots where you know these bucks are going to the thickets and uh, they're checking for does. And you have this buck that uh, works out of range from you and kind of starts to veer off what are you gonna do in that scenario in the pre-rut? So, so depending on how that, how that ground and stuff sets, if uh, if it's kind of calm and I think that I can rattle that buck in, um, and he's not too like if he's if, if if that buck's with a doe like a hot doe and he's completely obsessed with that doe, I'm gonna bet try to figure out a way to get moved in on him. I'm not gonna worry about trying to call him off that doe because it's not gonna happen. Because he's gonna be he's his tunnel vision. Hunter. You could almost like when it gets to be hardcore rut here pretty soon. That buck and doe could be 50 yards downwind of you, smelling you, and he ain't going to leave that doe. And he can smell you, and he knows you're not supposed to be there, but he's not going to leave that doe. He's 100% focused on the doe. So if I, if I see a buck that, let's say they're 100, 150 yards downwind of me, and I'm on a creek or something, I'm going to try to figure out how to get in that creek or get somewhere where he can't see me and sneak around and get close the distance as much as I can. Now, if I could get... 70 yards from him and that's as close as i can get i might get there and then try to rattle and just suck him in 20 yards enough or 30 yards and meet try you to in the middle a 35 yard shot or something on him I, I try not to shoot at him past 30 35 yards but i have made a few 40 yard shots or kind of just dictates the you know it, i'm sure when you did shoot those that it was probably a little bit more open because yeah, yeah. it ain't easy to find a 40 yard shot in some of these setups no, that you're talking about yeah. these thickets and bedding areas and stuff but then if that like if that buck's just kind of cruising working scrapes and kind of just scent checking and he's by himself that'd be a good opportunity to try to call that deer in because he's not completely focused on something else and it's a little harder to sneak up on a deer like that they're gonna hear you and kind of get curious or whatever and good chance they could bust you now what, what would you do though i would uh so i'd probably just grunt a couple times or maybe just once or twice and see if he'd do anything um if he still didn't come in i might grunt a little louder or try to like, throw a buck roar out at him okay and uh if he don't come in then i'd probably rattle and then uh if, if that didn't work i might rattle again and then do like a snort wheeze or something yeah i was curious i mean that that ten pointer I was telling you about, he came through um, last year, checking that doe bedding, but he did so in a way that I couldn't get a shot off on him. And so, what I did was I hit the grunt a couple times, and then I, yeah, and I just kind of waited him out a little bit, and then next thing you know, you hear some stomping through the leaves, and you know he's hitting a scrape and. And getting pissed off yeah, and ready to go. Made him mad. He thought there was another deer yep. in there after his and girl. He, he just circled right back around. And in fact, he circled upwind. Yep. So him thinking he was downwind. Yep. But 
Yeah, no, I think calling tactics are super important in the pre-rut if you do it correctly. If you're just out there banging the horns together, grunting every two minutes, snort wheezing for no reason, then you're probably going to be doing more damage than good. And if you only have like one or two properties and three stands total and you're out there blind rattling every time you're there, the deer going to be like, oh, that guy's in there blind rattling again. But but uh, I try to, like I said, I save some stands for the pre-rut. So when I'm in that, st- I'm only hunting stand once or twice. I feel like the first time in a stand is the best time ever. And after that, even if you're not in that stand that night, a buck could come through and smell where you went to that stand and he's already on to you like yep. that, you know. So Definitely. So I kind of, that I, helps too. You can, if you don't do a lot of rattling in the same place over and over again. I totally agree. Um, and I know, you know, I know a little bit about you, but I know that you're not hunting on these 1,500-acre groomed, manicured, big buck farms. Yeah. You're you're going out and getting permission to these places. And uh, I know that you wanted to touch on some the importance of that and kind of give us a little bit of a dive, deep dive into that. So uh, we do. We, we My dad's a farmer. I, I do some farming myself. So we have some access of my own ground that's ours. But... but uh, what we own is just very little timber at all. It's all open ag fields, and it's tough to hunt. And uh, where we grew up at, there's a lot of area around here where a, a guy with a rifle can cover, you know, a square section or something. You know, you can see so far that if there's a big buck out there, you ain't got much chance to survive. But uh, so it's hard to find a big buck. Um, and I do. I probably have a thousand acres during bow season I could hunt, but I've called around and figured out which lands nobody's hunting on and I, I take care of those landowners if, if someone gives you permission to hunt um i mean i i'm so happy to get anything i can get 50 acres 20 acres 10 acres i've killed one of my biggest bugs on just a 10 acre piece of ground below a cemetery next to town that most people would always overlook but but if you can get it is the more places you can get to run those cameras and hunt and spread your pressure out the better chances you have to find a bigger deer but this summer, for for instance, I've been running twelve cameras, and uh, I don't. I might have one deer over one hundred and fifty inches. I've been out of twelve cameras that I've been moving from farm to farm to farm. Now I don't put them on some of my best farms, or some of my best spots that I'm saving them for like now, but but it's hard to find a mature deer. So you say you don't put your cameras on your best spots. Is that because you think that the cameras have a little bit of a a deterring factor, or or you think, oh man, I'll be in there checking them and I'll screw the spot up myself. Um, kind of both. Uh, I, I try to run my cameras where I can drive my truck right to them. So uh, I've got a few good salt lick spots I can drive right next to, and I'll put them on a food plot. But, uh, but like that, that crusty buck, I, I, and I'll go in and like get deep. If I don't know there's any big deer and I can't find a big deer, I'm gonna go find scrapes and put them on the scrapes. But once I find a good deer, I know he's there. Then I try to kind of back off it's almost like I get scared of that big deer because I'm almost spooking. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to eliminate every little bit I can. Um, but that crusty buck, um, he was kind of right in the middle of, I, could, I had like three farms I could hunt. And uh, I had a camera to the, I guess it would be east of him. About a half mile, I got his picture on one time. And I had a camera on a food plot about 400 yards to the north of him. And I got his picture there twice. And when I shot him, we ended up finding out, like, where his permanent bed was. That's where he was laying up when we went to get him. And uh, it was in a treetop with a little 
uh, rose bush over top of it, and it was bare dirt, and you could just tell he had always been kind of bedding there. Not maybe not every time, but it was one of his main beds. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't but sixty yards from from the road in a draw that wasn't more than fifteen yards wide. And just some of these big bucks figure out where you know that lake was there. He had that draw that nobody ever walked in ever, and uh, all the food he needed. So, and he's able to see he pretty could, good. He could see anything from in there. You wouldn't be able to sneak up on him ever. But like I said, he was not more than 60 yards off a of gravel road. That's where his main bed was. And uh, so I guess the important thing is, is that, you know, you you can pick up a two-acre piece, you can pick up a 50-acre piece. It's not going to matter. You're going to learn something about each of these spots. It's going to get... Yep. The more pieces of property you can get, the better. And And if it's a good piece or not... If it's a piece that doesn't look good, get permission. You know, take the take the landowner some fish or do a chore, help them with some fence or something. You can put a camera there or early season when it's hot and it's not very good hunting. If you want to go hunt, go sit there. Don't don't tear up your best spot that during the, the pre-rut or the rut, you have a really good chance of killing a mature buck. Um, that's why I like to have a lot of, like, places that are mediocre to hunt early and then save my better spots for now when it starts getting good. Yeah. And um, just to kind of to close up, because I know I know it's getting time to be hunting. Um, the one one question I I didn't want to miss is that: Do you think that can't trail cameras or bucks will avoid trail cameras? I do, um, and I've had some deer uh, that that it doesn't bother at all. They they don't care that the cameras there. They'll come up and sniff it and put their nose on it. And they'll go back and mess around in front of there, and they don't care. But I've had several mature bucks that you get their picture like one time walking sideways. I, I put my camera on three picture burst, but I've had a lot of bucks, mature bucks especially, that you get a picture of them walking sideways in front of the camera one time, and then they're looking at the camera the next time, and then you never get the third time it's gone, and you never get another picture of that deer at that same spot. Hmm. So I definitely think that, that just like, I've been using blackout cameras even now, but I think there's so many cameras out that deer are kind of getting figured out or... You know, as these bucks get old, these these five-year-old bucks, they've been seeing, they've been associating your scent with that camera for the past four years on a salt lake as they grow old or whatever, so. Associating that with danger. With danger, yeah. And so you'd mentioned that you don't really put the cameras on your best spots. And is that the reason or is it? That, that the, I don't want to get back, like some of my best spots are further off the road and harder to get into and I don't want to leave a scent trail going in and out. I don't want to have the deer seeing me get in and out and I don't. If I can get in there with a truck after the crops are out or something, I might put one on a good salt lick, or not a salt lick, on a good scrape. But uh, if I know there's a pretty good deer there, I'm not going to put a camera there. I'm just going to wait till the time's right and go in and hunting. Okay. And uh, just out of curiosity, are you, uh, is there a best time of the day to be hunting the pre-rut? Um, I kind of stick with that. I like to hunt. From, from sunrise or whatever, first thing in the morning to about 9.30. And then I like to hunt in the afternoons that last three hours just because I got other stuff to do in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, I know guys that hunt all day long, and they think like 10.30 is when all the big bucks finally get up on their feet. Some of the big bucks might lay around and wait for their other deer to calm down, and then they get up and look. I would say any time you could be out there in the pre-rut and rut, you have a chance of encountering a big buck. Yeah, so no, not really any said time. Um, if you had to plan your... Your rut vacation, when would you do that? Um, I'd have to say that first week in November, or like the Halloween, day or two before Halloween right now, 
for the next week is the best time. I, I seem like most of my trophies that came about that time of year. Well, then you, you got my next question because I was going to ask when you had the best luck. Yep, that, oh, October, October 30th through probably November 3rd for sure. And do you feel like they're on a pattern whenever you're seeing them or are you catching them based off, off like, randomness? Um, it depends. So I would say for some of my bigger deer, it's just a random. They're on a doe and they're they're just cruising. They get behind a doe and they might run two or three miles and you, you pick up some kind of new deer you didn't even know about that came from a farm that don't get hunted too hard or something. Mm-hmm. But I think if if I know there's a good buck that made it from the year before, I'd rather hunt them earlier at October 23rd, October 24th and try to get in there a little earlier before their, their hormones are so high that they're just cruising miles looking for that first doe that's in because it's about time. But but if you don't have anything, like right now, I don't have anything mo- monster to go after. I'm just hoping one shows up in the next week. So. Sometimes that's what you got to do. I mean, if uh, if you're not seeing them, you got to go find them. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't I don't really have anything else. I think we touched a lot on, on the pre-rut. And, you know, it, it's an exciting time of the year. I'm, I'm ready to be back out in the woods. I'm taking a, a kind of a newbie this weekend to some good spots and hopefully we can get him on a doe or a, or a buck, whatever. Good luck. I hope you get one. Thanks. And and as to you, man, I hope, I hope you get one coming soon. I mean, this is the time of year you like to shoot them, right? This is what all of us guys that go for the big buck we wait for is this is the time of year to be out there. All right. So I have one rapid fire question and uh, I'll let you get to the woods. Alrighty. Fixed blade or expandables? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I actually have both in my quiver. Yeah? Um, so right now I've been shooting fixed blade. Or I, I've been using mechanicals this year a lot more than I had been. And uh, I think that's probably what I usually have in my quiver. Um, but if I have a buck that, like that buck I shot that was in some stinging beans a few years ago, I don't like shooting a mechanical into anything where it's going to hit some weeds or if it's going to hit some some brush or something, I'd rather have a mechanical, or I'd rather have a fixed blade on then. So I like to have a, a mechanical if it's good open, but if, if it's in, anything in between me and that deer, I'm gonna switch more to the, to the fixed blade and have a better chance of not screwing it up. Easy enough answer. Yeah, I feel like I said gibberish there. <laughs> no, no, that was a good enough answer. Uh, that, are you able to tune the, tune the expandable and the fix to be this shoot the same or? so mine have been shooting pretty good I, i've got uh like the montec g5 or whatever i've got a couple of those and then um the other one just kind of like a is like a rage it's not a rage but and they've been shooting good i've, I've shot uh i shot four does and uh i think i've shot two of them with mechanical and two with with a uh, fixed blade and i've had good shots on all of them so yeah, I guess it's important to to have a good shot first and foremost. Yep, yep. And practice, practice, practice. Lots of practice, practice all year long. Yep. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the season. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. I know we talked about maybe some land management stuff with your conservation background, and now that you've got a couple properties that you're getting to work on yourself. It'd be nice to kind yep. of go through and... I got some pretty cool stuff going on here behind the house. It's it's not a very big property, and the house is right in the middle of it, but I got some high expectations for it in the future here. So. Some, uh, this is only 30 acres, so some small property strategies to get your get your mature buck. I see that as a podcast in the future. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, man. Well, uh, 
thanks thanks again yep and i hope, I, hope yeah. I helped out a little bit and get out there hunting uh even if it's not for deer if if it's middle of the summer next year and you're wanting to get good into deer hunting go out and hunt squirrels or something the more you're hunting and you're kind of learning what the wildlife do it all benefits you so that's great advice well guys uh we'll see you on the next one